Today we're bringing you another special Behind the Badge episode, where we pull back the curtain to expose the often untold stories inside grisly crimes, moments of terror, and horrific cases you'll never forget. This episode contains graphic descriptions of crime scenes, which may be disturbing to some listeners. On April 15, 2013, the nation was shocked when two bombs exploded seconds apart near the finish line of the Boston Marathon, killing two and seriously injuring 281 more. Three days later, the bombing suspects murder a police officer, then carjack and kidnap an unsuspecting driver. Police receive information that the hijacked vehicle is in Watertown, six miles northwest of Boston, but at the time, they only know that they have a stolen car. They don't know who's inside, and they have no idea of the terrifying events that are about to unfold. This is the story of eight and a half harrowing minutes in Watertown, told by the police officers who lived through it. This is APB Behind the Badge. Here's your host, former police chief Mark Spahn. A couple of years after the Boston Marathon bombing, I spoke with Police Chief Ed DeVoe of the Watertown PD. At the time, he'd been on the job for 32 years and police chief for 14 years. We're just kind of the average police department, 65 officers. You know, most of us, myself included, graduated from Watertown High School. You know, I've run the marathon three times. It's a big deal to everybody in Boston. After the bombing occurred, Chief DeVoe and the Watertown PD were there to assist the Boston authorities. So on April 15, 2013, we had the explosions at the marathon. And my department and my community border Boston. And for the first three or four days, we were just supporting Boston by sending some police officers in on a regional team to help them. And never expecting that anything would happen in Watertown. Then on April 18, 2013 at 10.25 p.m., brothers Joe Carr and Tamerlan Sarnayev murder MIT police officer Sean Collier mercilessly shooting him in the head at close range. They attempt to steal his service weapon. It's another tragic blow to an already traumatized community. At 11 p.m. that same night, the Sarnayev brothers carjack a Mercedes SUV and kidnap the driver, forcing him to drive to an ATM where they withdraw $800 from his account. No one knew it at the time, but the violence wasn't over. Chief DeVoe told me he never expected anything to happen in Watertown, a city that only encompasses a little over four square miles. But on April 19th, four days after the bombing, and only a couple hours after the murder of Sean Collier, everything shifted to Watertown. Here's Ed DeVoe. We had um, roll call at midnight. We had four officers out in the street and a patrol supervisor. The officers were told at midnight that at 10.30, Sean Colley over at MIT had been executed while he was sitting in his cruiser at the end of his shift. The FBI had released the pictures of two suspects in the Boston bombings. But at the time, my officers and no one knew that the shooting of Officer Colley had been related to the, these suspects. It's now 12.30 a.m. And the shooting suspects are in the carjacked vehicle, which was tracked by OnStar to Dexter Ave in Watertown. Sergeant John McClellan was the night patrol supervisor. We traveled to Watertown for this episode, and when we spoke with him, he'd been on the job for 26 years. We came on to work, came on into roll call, and we were told that there was a uh, police officer that was shot in the line of duty. We knew nothing about it, having anything to do with the Boston Marathon. Finished roll call. 
got right out on the street. Now we have a carjacking in Cambridge, armed carjacking. They give the vehicle plate number to the vehicle, uh, 2013 Mercedes, the time brand new car. A gentleman escapes from the vehicle. He was carjacked and taken. They tell him while he's in the car, do you hear about the marathon bombing? He says, yes, of course I heard about it. They said, we did that. We did that. And we're going to kill more. And they said, but you be good. You do what you're supposed to do. We'll let you live. And I think he knew that not to trust them. So he was looking, 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 looking. How am I going to get out of this? How am I going to get out of this? They're driving around looking for a gas station. And they went all through Watertown, couldn't find an open gas station. They lived in Cambridge, so they went back. They know where there's a 24-hour gas station. They went back there. One of them gets out of the car, goes in, into the store to buy some snacks. And the older brother's sitting there, thank God for technology, puts his gun down, starts playing with his phone. It's 12.15 a.m. The carjack victim sees his opportunity. He opens the car door and starts running across the street, through a busy intersection, into another gas station, and he screams at the attendant. Lock the door, lock the door, they're trying to kill me, call 911, and they take off knowing that the gig's up. They're in the Mercedes, they know it's hot now. The brothers tear off in the stolen car to Watertown, where they have a second vehicle stashed, and that vehicle is loaded with weapons. Again, the police don't know who these guys are. Here's Sergeant McClellan. They have a Honda parked in the Watertown area, we believe. They come back with the Mercedes to the Honda to get all their, all their instruments of destruction. They had bombs in the car, guns, the pressure cooker bomb. While they're loading it, in, uh, loading it from their vehicle, either loading it into the, the Mercedes or loading the stuff into the other car, we're not sure, but we know that the vehicle was stopped in Watertown and we got a, a bolo saying all units, the vehicle that was carjacked in Cambridge is now in Watertown. It's Dexter Ave's right behind us and Joe Reynolds is one of our patrol officers off to our right on another main road. He calls out right now, he goes, I'm, I'm getting out on Dexter, but Dexter's a very long road. So he's on Dexter on one side, I'm on Dexter on the other and we start sandwiching in between. At the same time, Watertown Police Sergeant Jeffrey Pugilese had just finished his shift, the 4 to 12. In fact, he stayed a little late that night and was sitting in his car in the police parking lot listening to the news on the radio talking about Officer Collier being shot. Pugilese had been on the department for 35 years when we spoke with him. He's a military veteran and a police firearms instructor, and he heard the radio traffic of his colleagues attempting to intercept the stolen car thought to myself, let me go down there. There's only four guys working in the sergeant, so five guys on the street. If this turns into be a little pursuit, you know, looking for a couple of carjackers, I'll be in my own vehicle. They won't be expecting that, so if they're out running, I just give them a hand. Meanwhile, the suspect's Honda, driven by Jokar, and the stolen Mercedes, driven by Tamerlan, followed by the two Watertown police cruisers, have all turned onto Laurel Street from Dexter Ave. It was 12.43 a.m., McClellan watches as Officer Joe Reynolds pulls behind the Mercedes. Reynolds calls out, okay, Sarge, I have the vehicle. I have him in sight. I see him get behind the, the Mercedes, and I say to him, okay, Joe, light him up. I'm here. 
But before Officer Reynolds even has the chance to light him up or turn on his emergency lights, the suspects pull over on their own. We were standing with Sergeant McClellan on the exact spot where it all went down as he pointed out where the two suspect vehicles had stopped on Laurel Street. The blue Honda was right here, parked right here. The Mercedes was right behind it. They both pulled over. Joey Reynolds pulls behind him. He's just about to put it into park and the door of the Mercedes opens up. The older brother steps out and just starts firing at the cruiser. Joe Reynolds had been an officer with the Watertown PD for nine years at the time. I was one of two car lengths behind the vehicle. One of the suspects exited the driver's side and started approaching my, my cruiser, at which point he lifted up his right arm and started firing at my cruiser. Again, Sergeant John McClellan. Joey Reynolds, probably the first move that helped save my life was instead of engaging him, he puts it in reverse and just hits the gas and straight back. Probably couldn't do it again if he tried. Straight, straight back, didn't hit anything and landed back by where that black vehicle is, but out into the street a bit. Officer Joe Reynolds. Um, as I was reversing, I, I yelled into my radio, uh, shots fired, shots fired. I backed up approximately 30 yards. Using my driver's side as, uh, as coverage, I engaged the suspect and began firing back and forth at each other. McClellan is in his cruiser as the suspects begin to fire at Reynolds' vehicle. And I'm looking at this, I'm saying, wow, is this really happening? Is, is this happening to us? I stop just past the stop sign and I'm putting my car into park and the wheel's over and takes one shot at me. I see the, the gun light up and I get sprayed with glass. I, you know, my first thought was like, wow, it was a good shot. I said, you know, all right, this is it, we're in the shit. So I throw my car in park, jump down, open the door. The bullets are now hitting his cruiser. McClellan reaches for his patrol rifle, but it's stuck. Do my series again, grab the rifle, boom, can't get it out, it's not opening up. And all I could picture in my head was, you know, this kid was approaching Officer Reynolds and, and putting it to him, and I'm thinking, is he coming at me? Am I going to look up and he's going to be right in my grill? Sergeant McClellan has no idea how many shooters are involved, but he knows he has to do something. So I figure I send my cruiser down, get some cover, and look and see who comes out and engages the vehicle, because they're going to think someone's in it. At the same time Officer Reynolds was focused on the shooters, he didn't know exactly where McClellan was or that he was using his vehicle as a Trojan horse. I did not know that at this point he had exited his cruiser, he stopped his cruiser, put it in drive, and let the vehicle travel down Laurel Street. I got behind his vehicle using it as cover, walking down the street and firing at the suspects. At that point I noticed the side of McClellan in the side yard and we engaged the two suspects, telling them to give it up. They continue to fire. Both officers are now in a full-blown gunfight. They figure that the shooters are thinking there's an officer inside McClellan's vehicle because they're not only shooting at it, they start lobbing explosives at it. Here's Sergeant McClellan. Two people step out, they're shooting at it, and all of a sudden I see a, a hook shot. And boom! Well, I wasn't impressed by it. Like, I, I actually said over the radio, they're throwing fireworks. Bigger than an M80, I said. But I was thinking fireworks. I was still thinking fireworks. 
What McClellan didn't know at the time was that his cruiser absorbed most of the blast. He ran to take cover behind a tree as bullets were flying and pipe bombs were exploding. So I get to my tree, I'm firing, we have firing back and forth. Now, you'll remember that off-duty Sergeant Jeff Pugiles was driving in his personal vehicle on his way to help his fellow officers with what started as a carjacking. But when he hears radio transmissions of shots fired, he races to Laurel Street. And so I stepped on the gas and was probably there in less than a minute, two miles away, parked around the corner from La on, on Dexter Ave from Laurel Street. I put my vest on because my vest wasn't on at that time and went around the corner, went into the front yard of a house. And as I, actually, as I was rounding that first corner there, an explosive went off. And then I, I looked in a front yard immediately there and I saw uh, Officer Reynolds and another officer turned out to be Officer Cologne. Uh, you know, they turned to me and, you know, Sarge, Sarge, get down. You know, they're shooting at us. And so I got down and I could see Sergeant McClellan across the street behind a tree. The brothers were, uh, you know, firing. I could see muzzle flashes from both sides of the vehicle. And so, you know, I thought they have, uh, they have the three officers pinned down. Sergeant McClellan and Officer Reynolds had taken cover in a front yard and were still engaged in a gun battle with the suspects. Here's Officer Joe Reynolds. At one point, I saw them lighting something and throwing it, having to be a pipe bomb. And this happened approximately three or four times. The pipe bombs landed probably 15, 20 yards away from us. Uh, myself and Sergeant McClellan were there by ourselves for three to four minutes. Seeing that his fellow officers are pinned down, Sergeant Pugilese uses his tactical training and decides to approach the suspects from the side. You know, I'd gone through some backyards and I was coming down between two houses where I was going to start flanking them. Sergeant McClellan might not have been impressed by the first couple of pipe bombs thrown by the suspects. And then they lob another one. And this one's bigger. When it hit the ground, it was like, ting, ting. And I was like, uh-oh, me and Reynolds get down, get down this crouch position, and the thing blew up. And it was, I, how do I describe that? And I still can't. I, it was like, Four guys standing around me with baseball bats and just hitting me as hard as they could in the chest. It was just the, uh, the concussion, just huge. My eyes were shaking in my head. I had to reholster. I mean, I've got rounds coming by me. I had to reholster and grab my eyes because I, I couldn't see. I think I was 12 feet from it when it went off, but didn't get hit. Didn't get hit with anything. Officer Joe Reynolds also remembers that blast. As I saw that being thrown, I could see it was a larger bomb. I ran, I knew there was going to be a larger blast radius. I grabbed Sergeant McClellan, I said, Sergeant, run, run. The bombs seem to be getting bigger and the situation more dangerous, but the officers don't back down. They need to end this. Sergeant McClellan. Joe says, we're cl too close, Sarge. We got to get back, we got to get back. And I, I said, I'm not close enough. I, I, I got to stay here. I covered him, he gets back over to his cruiser. I figured, okay, we'll get another long arm into our gunfight. Here comes another bomb up. Rolls up. Now this one was a corner unit. It was around like a softball. It was a 45-degree angle pipe, two caps on it. And it rolls up. And I go, oh boy, get down. Nothing. Here's police chief Ed DeVoe. They're behind that tree, and now they throw the next pipe bomb down the street. And Joey and John kind of run into this driveway, but the bomb doesn't go off. 
and they have to make a decision. They're talking, saying, should we go over this fence, go around this, and create some distance? And no, we don't want to give up. We want to, we're not going to back away from these guys. And they went back to that tree, but the undetonated bomb was probably about 15, 20 feet away from them. And it's just incredible to me that they made that decision. You know, I talked to John a lot and said, John, what were you thinking then? And he said, Chief, I kept looking at the bomb in the middle of the street, I kept looking at them, and I was hoping it would change colors to tell me it was going to go off. He goes, but I said, you can't think that way. You know, turn your brain off and keep fighting. And he did. Sergeant Pugilis is making his way through backyards on the opposite side of the street, trying to get closer to Reynolds and McClellan. Here's former police chief Ed DeVoe. It's almost one o'clock in the morning with all these shots being fired, bombs going off. This sleepy neighborhood is waking up. Now the two brothers decide they have a pressure cooker bomb, the same, you know, pretty similar to what they had went off at the marathon finish line. And they heave that down the street. They lit it, threw it down the street. Obviously they couldn't throw it as far as the pipe bombs, but that explodes and it just lights up this neighborhood for a few seconds with the flames, um, debris everywhere, shrapnel going everywhere. Laurel Street looks like a war zone. The few officers that are on the scene are taking fire and shrapnel from the bombs. Now, remember, Sergeant Jeff Pugilis is a police firearms instructor, and he can see the brothers are taking cover behind an SUV. Retired Police Chief Ed DeVoe describes what Sergeant Pugilis did next. So Jeff starts to skip shoot some bullets underneath the vehicle. And, you know, again, remarkable to me, and we know from the autopsy mark that he got him in the leg at least once. And so now the older brother, who I think at this point is, you know, he thinks he's, he's defiant to everybody, he's in, invincible, he just takes off running towards my sergeant, Jeff Pugilis. And I think he thinks he's invincible, that he's done the Boston bombings four days ago, didn't get caught, they ex executed Sean Collier. And here's Sergeant Jeff Pugilis. I could have sworn I was hitting him, but it didn't seem to have any effect on him. And he noticed I was there. Came charging up the street, shooting at me. Came up uh, between a car and a fence line. I was on one side of a chain link fence. He was on the other. We're about this far apart from each other, shooting at each other. I ran out of ammunition. I had a reload. I didn't know if his gun jammed or ran out of ammunition. And he looked down at his gun in frustration, looked at me, threw the gun at me, hit me in the bicep here turned, ran down the driveway, took a left towards the other offices. Here's retired Chief Ed DeVoe. So now the older brother is, starts running down the street, but instead of running back to where his brother was, he runs towards the police offices. And John McClellan's behind that tree across the street, and he's thinking he's got to have a bomb strapped to his chest, and he's just going to run in and try to kill as many cops as we can. At the point Sergeant Pugilis and Sarnayev were shooting at one another, Sergeant McClellan had run out of ammunition. But despite that, and believing that Sergeant Pugilis was in trouble, McClellan charged straight at him, aiming his empty gun at Tamerlan. Chief Ed DeVoe. I said, but John, he, you, you didn't have any bullets. Like, what, what were you doing? And, and he said, Chief, he didn't know that. And I could see his hands. I thought he had a bomb, but I, I, I didn't see the gun. So I pretended my gun was shooting. And he kind of stopped because he thought my gun was shooting and Jeff was able to tackle him. My later said to John, are you kidding me? Like you, you rolled the cruiser down. They don't teach you that in the academy, but they will now. Now you're faking your guns shooting. They don't teach you that in the academy, but they will now. Sergeant Jeff Pugilis tackled Sarnayev to the pavement. McClellan and Reynolds were there to assist. We're trying to handcuff him and uh, he, 
continue to struggle. It's 12.50 a.m. Officers now have older brother Tamerlan Sarnaev in custody. But they're in the middle of the street. Here's Officer Reynolds. Zokar jumped back into the Mercedes and he turned around. I could hear the engine revving. He was speeding up towards us. Uh, I could see the headlights. I threw my pistol and I attempted to strike him through the windshield. I wasn't sure if I had hit him or not. I told the sergeants to move, to get out of the way. He's coming, he's coming back at us. Here's Sergeant Pugilis, who was standing over Tamerlan. If I grabbed the older brother by the back of the pants on his belt line and tried to drag him out of the street, and you know, I maybe moved him maybe a foot, and I look again, and the headlights were right in my face. So I rolled back. I felt the breeze of the headlights go by my face. And then I'm, I'm laying on my back, and I saw the, the front wheels go over the elder brother. And uh, he bounced up and back between the end of carriage and the pavement a couple of times. He got hung up in the rear wheels, and he got dragged about 25 feet when they smashed into you know, one of our cruisers. For a brief second, you could hear the engine racing. He was trying to break free of the collision. And you know, he finally broke free, took off. And as, as he broke free, the rear wheels went over the brother. And, then you just see taillights and a barrage of gunfire uh, as the vehicle went through an intersection, and that's the last I saw of it. Officer Joe Reynolds. That's when um, all the gunfire erupted, and we, everybody was trying to hit him and, and the threat there. He was able to escape and drive down uh, Wall Street and away. Incredibly, Tamerlan, who had been shot, run over, and dragged underneath a car, was still fighting. Here's Officer Reynolds. Again, I engaged uh, Tamerlan with uh, Sergeant Pugilis, and we were able to gain control and handcuff him. Sergeant Pugilis. We had gotten him handcuffed. Officer Reynolds had come back, gave me his handcuffs, and we cuffed him. And once again, he was still struggling. He was face down. So I just held him down, and I called for an ambulance. And I didn't hear the radio transmission that they needed an ambulance for the uh, MBTA officer. And I'm standing there, I'm waiting, and then I start to hear some, some transmissions. At the same time that Jokar was fleeing in the Mercedes, Watertown police learned that a fellow officer was down. Richard Donahue, a Massachusetts Bay Transportation Authority officer, had responded to the scene. He was shot and bleeding out. They had to make a decision, chase the fleeing suspect or respond to the aid of the downed officer. Here's Joe Reynolds. After we had gained control of Tamlin, he was handcuffed. We had called an ambulance to respond. And that's when I heard officer down, officer down. At that point, my cruiser was the closest. I uh, went into the back and I grabbed my medical bag. When I showed up, he was bleeding pretty profusely. There was other officers tending to his injuries as well as starting CPR. I grabbed my AMBU bag and I provided rescue breaths for Officer Donahue while the um, ambulance was en route. And when the ambulance arrived, we grabbed, everybody grabbed uh, you know, an arm or legs and we all lifted them up together and we just ran him into the, into the ambulance and uh, placed him on the gurney and that's when the ambulance took him off to the hospital. Now this was a grievous wound. Oh yeah, he was bleeding out. He, his collar was going white. He was, you could tell we were, we were losing him pretty quick. I think they went through like 45 liters of blood at the hospital. Retired Chief Ed DeVoe. There's a decision to be made. Do we ch chase the other suspect or do you go to the aid of an officer? And there's really no decision there. You know, a cop's life is important and it was, it was more than life-threatening Donahue's injury. So the officers there went, you know, radioed in, you know, somebody else 
chase him, but we're given aid. And, and unfortunately, Dick Donahue had, was shot right up in his crotch area, hit a main artery, and was bleeding out. One of my officers, other officers, Timmy Menton, a medic in the service, carried a tourniquet with him. And the wound was so high up, the tourniquet just wouldn't, didn't do any good. And, you know, bleeding profusely right here on the sidewalk in Watertown. Now, here's a kid that went to the police academy with Sean Collier. Sean died two hours earlier, and now he's bleeding out when he came to our aid, and now he's dying in Watertown. So the officers are doing direct pressure. We get an, an ambulance in and get him off to the hospital as quick as we can. You know, days later, I talked to the, the doctors down there, and they said, you know, Chief, your guys did a great job, and they, you know, but Donahue basically lost all his blood and you guys are doing CPR on him, but CPR doesn't work if there's no blood in the body. You know, so you guys are doing it all the way to the hospital. Um, it's just a miracle that Dick's alive. And the, those emergency room doctors just did incredible work. You know, they just wouldn't give up, wouldn't give up. I think there was a suggestion in the middle of this, you know, let one we call it, I don't think he's gonna make it. And there was three young female doctors that said, he's a young kid, let's keep doing this, let's keep doing that. And they were able to save his life. And as they say, it's a miracle that he doesn't have any brain damage because he had lost his blood, but he doesn't. And, you know, remarkable, he made it. All through the intense gunfight with bombs exploding and a car racing straight at them, the officers still thought they were dealing with carjackers. But once the dust settled, they realized who it was they'd been fighting with. Not until after the other agencies started showing up and, and the two suspects, you know, one was in custody and the other one had taken off. And the other agencies came up and told us, you know who you have here, it's a couple of carjackers. And uh, they said, no, you got the bombers. According to the federal indictment, after escaping Laurel Street in the Mercedes, Jokar Sarnayev abandoned the car on Spruce Street in Watertown. He destroyed both of his cell phones and hid in a dry docked boat in a Watertown backyard until he was captured by police the following night. Again, former police chief Ed DeVoe. You know, I think a lot of people have seen the manhunt that played out over the next 18 hours, but for four minutes on this side street in Watertown, it was just Joe and John for the first time in America, Mark, they're being shot at and having bombs thrown at them. You know, the cavalry's coming, but they're, they're by themselves for a while. And as we all know, the average police gunfight lasts 10 seconds, a minute's a long time. They were by themselves for almost four minutes, and the whole thing lasted eight and a half minutes. Mark, you know how proud I am of my guys, and I just, how they did it with the training or lack of training or something like this, and none of them had ever shot their gun before on duty. And here they are, just making some incredible decisions. Tamerlan Sarnayev died from his injuries. Jokar Sarnayev was indicted on 30 federal crimes, and in 2015 he was sentenced for his role in using weapons of mass destruction at the Boston Marathon, malicious destruction of property resulting in death, use of a firearm, and carjacking. He received a death sentence and several consecutive life sentences. In July 2020, a federal appeals court overturned Sarnayev's death sentence, but on review, the U.S. Supreme Court reinstated the death sentence. Sarnayev is on death row in a federal prison in Florence, Colorado. The officers who were involved in the dramatic shootout on Laurel Street participated in a critical incident debriefing, a process where first responders work with a therapist or a peer to help them cope with a life-changing event like this. Because of the stress of this incident, the officers were told that, statistically, within one year, a few of them would no longer be on the job. But they were. All of them. 
and you know, in the middle of the night while everybody else was sleeping, Joe, John, Jeff, and across the country, that's what that Joe, John, and Jeff are in every community working and sacrificing their own lives in, in the quality of life to be a cop. I think you know that's one of my biggest takeaways. They were ready even though it was almost one o'clock in the morning and they just did an incredible job and if it happened somewhere else, the other cops would have done the same thing. This episode is dedicated to the victims of the tragic events in Boston, Cambridge, and Watertown and to the brave officers who, even in the face of bullets, bombs, and shrapnel, fought back against two terrorists and protected their community. For photos and a timeline, check out our show notes and visit us at apbcoldcase.com. You're listening to APB Behind the Batch, an original Spawn Group production. Send your comments to APB Behind the Badge at spawngroup.com. <laughs>